Good evening, everybody. The $64,000 question is, what is the picture on the cover? Can you make that out? I had a debate with Michal. That's a half a mask. Mask on a mirror? Shiny table, that works. Wanted to wish a very special Mazel Tov to Yitzchak and Tamima on their first anniversary. Mazel Tov. What better way to spend your first anniversary than coming to a shir? So, <clears throat> many, many years of health and nachas and simcha and aliyah and sharing many, many good things. Topic this evening is dancing in the dark. What I'd like to do is focus on the special, unique character of Purim. <clears throat> and I try to like to, uh, like to explain what the Simcha of Purim is. The, what the, the Simcha of Purim is. Mishanichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha. And generally, we learn that in a very superficial way. We're getting excited. We're getting shalach manos ready. We're going to make poems and cute things to send to our friends. But what exactly is the simcha of Purim? So we'll start off with a few questions, a few problems. The Rambam tells us, somewhat of a famous Rambam, Kol sifri hanavim v'cholak suvim masidim libatel imosam mashiach. All of the books of the prophets and all of the books of the writings will become nullified in the days of Mashiach, chutz mi Megillas Esther, except for Megillas Esther. V'harei hi kayemes kechamisha chum kahalacha shel Torah Megillas Esther will stay around just like the five books of the Torah and all of the oral Torah, Torah Shabalpeh, She'enan betelim le'olam. Those things are never nullified. So the Rambam's telling us that all of Nach, all of Nevi'im and Ksuvim, from Yeshua, Shoftim, Shmuel, Melachim, all of the, the later prophets, Yeshai and Yermia, everyone, that's all Batal. All of Ksuvim, all of Tehillim, all of the other Megillos, that's all nullified except for Megillus Esther. That'll be with us just like the Torah and the Halacha forever. Even though in the future we're no longer going to recall the, uh, the strife and the pain of the past, nonetheless, Yemei HaPurim Lo Yibotlu. The days of Purim will never cease, will never leave Klal Yisrael. Where do we learn this from? It's from the very end of the Megillah. The Megillah tells us that these days of Purim will never leave the Jews. And their memory will never cease from our descendants. So right off the bat, the Ravid is troubled. Those who have learned Rambam before know that oftentimes the Ravid will disagree with the Rambam, and this is no exception. The Ravid says, how can you tell me 
that all of the, the books of Nevi'im and Ksuvim will become bottle. They're going to be nullified. We're not going to care about them anymore. We're going to put them in Geniza. We'll bury them. How could you say that? Lo yevatel davar mikol hasvarim, argues the Ravid, nothing in Tanakh will ever become nullified. She'ein sefer she'ein bo limud. Because within every sefer there is so much to learn. Avulkach amru afilu yevatelu shar svarim melikros behem. What the, the source that the Rambam's quoting, what it really means, is that even if in the times of Mashiach we're no longer going to read from Nevi'im and Ksuvim in public, Nonetheless, Megillah we will still read every year. Purim will be celebrated forever and ever with the reading of the Megillah. That's what the Ravid says. And likely the Rambam would agree. Lecha Mishnah points out that uh, the Rambam wasn't so clear in what he meant, but likely the Rambam would agree. Of course we're going to hold on to Nevi'im and Ksuvim forever, but there's something special about Megillah. We're going to read that in public in contrast to the other Svarim. Now, one earlier source of this idea comes from the Yalkut Shmoni, and there's also a Yushalmi that seems to say the same thing. Shekol ha-moedim asidim libatel, all of the holidays will become nullified in the times of Mashiach. V'yemei ha-purim einan betelem le'olam, but the days of Purim will always stay with us. So just before we, we analyze what this means, just a basic understanding. Why would we not pay attention to the other works of Svarim, of Nevi'im and Kesuvim? Just because Mashiach is here and it's a wonderful thing and it's the time of redemption, why would we not have the same focus on Nevi'im and Kesuvim? What is that based on? So there's a Gemara in Brachos, and this is a mission we read every year during the Haggadah, a famous debate between Bedzoma and the Chachamim. And the question is, we have a mitzvah to remember leaving Egypt. How many times a day do we have to remember Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? So Ben Zoma says, if you look at the Pasuk, you're supposed to remember the leaving of Mitzrayim all of the days of your life. The phrase, days of your life, besides being a soap opera, it's teaching you the, uh, the daytime. And when it says the word kol, that's teaching you the nighttime as well. That was the approach of Benzoma. We have a mitzvah to recall the Tzitz Mitzrayim in the daytime and the nighttime. Come along the Chachamim. And they say, no, we have a whole different limit, a whole different way of reading that. When it says the days of your life, that's referring to this world. Kol, when it says all of the days, that's including Yemosa Mashiach, the times of Mashiach, where we're still going to have a mitzvah to remember leaving Mitzrayim. So according to Ben Zoma, there is no mitzvah of remembering Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in the times of Mashiach. And according to the Chavim, that mitzvah will continue. So the Gemara relates the conversation between Ben Zoma and the Chachamim. Ben Zoma said to the Chachamim, the Chimaz Kira and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, why would you recall Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim during the times of Mashiach? The Pasuk tells us in Yirmiya very clearly that, Hine yomim ba'am nu ma'ashem, days are coming, says Hashem, 
Once Mashiach comes, we're no longer going to talk about leaving Mitzrayim. That's not going to be on our radar. Rather, we're going to speak about the amazing miracles that took place with the bringing of Mashiach. So Benzoma says, it's pretty clear from that Pasuk, we no longer care about Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So Omrilo, the response of the Chachamim to Benzoma was, it doesn't mean we're no longer going to mention leaving Egypt. It just means that it'll no longer be one of the, the key points on the agenda. We're going to focus on all of the miracles that took place during the process of Geula, the, the coming of the Mashiach. That'll be the main thing we're going to focus on. But we're still going to mention Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So explains Rav Chaim Friedlander, that's the basic idea behind having Nevi'im and Ksuvim no longer as relevant during the times of Mashiach. There are so many other things to focus on. There will be so many other miracles for us to recall and remember, so the other holidays and the other Svarim are no longer as powerful. Of course, we'll keep them. Of course, they're going to be part of Judaism, but it's not going to be the ikr, it's not going to be the main thing, it'll be more of a secondary thing. So problem number one with all this background is, that's beautiful. The Rambam tells us Purim is going to be here forever. And the Megillah is going to be the one book of Nach that we're going to read publicly forever. And we found that in the Yalkut Shmoni and the Yerushalmi. But the problem is, what's special about the Megillah? What's unique about the story of Esther? What's unique about the holiday of Purim? That even when Mashiach comes, and even when we have so many other things to talk about, so many other miracles to focus on, we're still going to keep Purim in the same way. We might not get as plastered, perhaps, but we'll have the same basic celebration. And we're always going to read the Megillah in public. What's special about the Megillah? What's unique about Purim? That's question number one. It's interesting, I saw that Rav Chaim Kanievsky points out that every time in the Megillah where it says the word Purim, it always leaves out the Vav. Just Pei, right, Resh, Yud, Mem, without the Vav. There are two exceptions. One exception is in Perek Tes, Pasuk Vav, where there it spells Purim with the Vav, Alkein Purim. Therefore, the Megillah says these days are called Purim Al Shem Hapur, based on the lottery. There it has with the Vav, and then two Psukim later again with the Vav, where the Megillah tells us that these days are going to be for generation to generation, within the family, within every place that the Jews are living. Yimei Purim Ha'ela, these days of Purim, again with the Vav, Lo Yavru Mitoch Yehudim, like the Rambam quoted, they will never leave the Jewish nation. V'zichrim Lo Yosef Mizoram, and the remembrance of Purim will never leave our descendants. So explains Rechaim Kanievsky, the reason it has the Vav, in Pasuk Chavav, is that's referring to the first Purim. When the Jews were celebrating in Shushan and throughout the entire known world, 
That was mole simcha. They were so filled with joy and gratitude. So the word Purim expresses that, that, that fullness. The second time it says Purim with a vav, that's referring to the Purim la'asid lavo, the Purim in the future. That will be also mole simcha, that will be filled with joy and gratitude, hence it's spelled pei vav, reish yedmeb. But that's problem number one, what is unique about Purim, what is special about the Megillah, that it will last even in the times of Mashiach. Problem number two, is a well-known Gemara, and we alluded to this Gemara a few weeks ago, telling us the story of Hashem and the Jewish people by Har Sinai. Literally, the Pasuk seems to say the Jewish people were not standing by the foot of the mountain, but they were standing underneath the mountain. So the famous Gemara says, what does that mean? It's teaching us that Hashem lifted up the mountain like a barrel, the Omer Lahem, and he said lovingly to them, mutav. If you accept the Torah, that's excellent, that's wonderful. Vimlav, but if you don't, Shom you will be buried under this mountain. That was the analogy we gave a few weeks ago, but the couple on the date, and he asks for her hand in marriage, and she says yes, and then he takes out a gun. So that's what Hashem was doing. He was holding the mountain over their heads, saying, although you just told me Nasev and Ishma, if you don't accept the Torah, I'm going to kill you. So it sounds like there is some level of coercion. that They were forced into this. Explains the morale. Hashem didn't literally pick up the mountain and hold it over our heads. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy that we really had no choice in the matter. We couldn't refuse the offer. You think about it. Here we are, we're leaving Mitzrayim, Hashem has been there for us, He's taking us under His sheltering wings, and now He's bringing us to Harsinai, giving us the opportunity to accept the Torah, and we're overwhelmed with fear, with reverence, with pachad, what are the odds that we're going to say, you know what, let me think about that offer for a second. I'm not so sure it works with my schedule. I'm not so sure it's convenient for me right now. Maybe in a couple of years it'll be more doable. We didn't have that ability. It was, there was so much going on, explains the morale. It was as if Hashem was taking the mountain and holding it over our heads. We had no choice but to say, of course, yeah, we accept. But it wasn't a real, full-fledged acceptance. It wasn't coming from love. It was coming from fear. It was coming because we had no other real option. Says the Gemara, Amarava, Afal Pikain, even though that was the initial accepting of the Torah, Hodr Kablua Bimeachashverosh. During the times of Achashverosh, during the, the Purim story, the Jewish nation came together, and they accepted the Torah again, but this time based on love, not fear. As it says in the Megillah, Kimu v'kiblu ha-Yehudim, the Yehudim stood up and they accepted, explains the Gemara, Kimu mashikiblu kavar, they were accepting now that which they already accepted in the past, but now it was a whole different acceptance. 
In the past, it was based on fear. We had no other option. Now it's based on love. And Rashi explains, just a few words of Rashi, what was special about the times of Achashverosh during the story of Purim? May avas hanes shenasalehem. It was based on the love that we all felt because of the miracle that Hashem did for us, saving us from Hama. So problem number two, we experienced many miracles throughout our history. Leaving Mitzrayim was a pretty big miracle. Crossing the Yamsuf was unbelievable. There are many things that took place in the desert every day, being surrounded by these supernatural clouds that were protecting us and being fed Minashemayim with mun and having this, this well following us with water. And then later on in history as well, there were so many different miracles throughout all of the prophets. What was unique about the miracle of, of Purim that at that point in time, Klal Yisrael said, you know what, we want to do this again. It's like renewing the vows. The first time we were young and we, you know, we weren't thinking that much about it, but now it's our anniversary. Let's renew the vows. And this time we're going to do it all based on love. What was, what was going on with Purim that allowed us to do such an amazing thing? So problem number one is, why is Purim going to be with us forever? Problem number two is, what was unique about us being able to accept the Torah based on love during Purim? There's a also well-known Gemara in Chulin that has a strange question. The question is, Esther min ha-Torah minayin. Where is there an allusion, where is there a, a remez, a hint to Esther in the Torah itself? And the famous answer quotes from the Pasuk, V'nochi astir astir, Hashem says, I will hide my face on that day. And within the phrase hiding, we have the word Esther. Beautiful. Comes along the Vilna Gaon and has the following question. Where else do we find the Gemara? Asking, hey, there was an amazing thing that happened. Where do we find this personality alluded to in the Torah? Hanukkah was also, we had big Nisim, major miracles. There's no Gemara that says, where is Matis Yohu alluded to in the Torah? Where is Yehudis mentioned in the Torah? So why are we only asking when it comes to Purim, when it comes to Esther and Haman and Mordechai, where do we have an allusion to these people? Says the Vilna Gaon. The question is not just where do we find the letters of the name somewhere in the Torah. It's much deeper than that. The question of the Gemara is, I get there were major miracles during the times of Hanukkah. Hanukkah, we had the base of Migdash. We were in Eretz Yisrael, we were in Yerushalayim. It made sense that Hashem would do miracles. The question of the Gemara is, where do we have any illusion that Hashem will do miracles for us, even in the time of Golis, even in the time of exile? Even though right, the whole story of Purim takes place, after the first base of English was destroyed, and we've now been living in the, under the reign of the Persians for almost 70 years. Many Jews have totally lost hope, and they've despaired from returning home, although there was the prophecy of Yirmiya saying that we will return, but it was hard to believe. 
So the Gemara's question says the Vilna Gon is, where do we see any reference in the Torah that even when we're living in darkness and Hashem is not, is not revealed to us, there still are going to be miracles that will guide us and lead us and direct us throughout history. Where do we find that? And to that the answer is, Pasuk quoted, number 11, Hashem tells Klal Yisrael, V'nochi aster aster I will certainly hide my face on that day. I will certainly hide my face on that day. What is Hashem telling us? Explains the Sforno. Unlike you think, you think that just because you don't see me, I'm not there. I'm telling you, I will always be there. I will always be with you. You're not going to see me, because I'll be hiding, but I'll always be there with you. That, says the Vilna Gon, is the essence of Purim. And we've all heard this basic theme before. The phrase is, Nes Nister. Other holidays celebrate revealed and open miracles. Purim is a celebration of the hidden. The small miracles that look like Teva, it looks like nature. But if anything, that only enhances the question. If Purim has the lower class miracles, things that you can't even tell are supernatural, why is it Purim that we're trying to remember in the future, in the times of Mashiach? Why was it Purim when we felt this extra love to accept the Torah? If anything, that's a lower class miracle. That's a nasnister, that's a hidden miracle. I would be more moved by the Kriyas Yamsuf. Once we go through that raging sea on dry land, I'll accept the Torah from love. So if anything, the way the Vilna Gon describes the basic nature of Purim only enhances those two problems. I'll share with you an amazing story. I was speaking to Shmuel first, who was here with us for a few days. And he told me that he has a relative, I forget the exact connection, but uh, she's a, a nice Jewish girl who grew up in somewhere in Brooklyn. And she does something for the United States Army. And she travels to Afghanistan and Iraq and brings packages. And I forget her exact job description. She told the story to Rabbi First that she was somewhere in Afghanistan and she noticed there was a guy off in the corner and it looks like he was meditating or, I don't know, kind of talking to himself. She wasn't sure. And he looked kind of Jewish. When someone says to you, you look Jewish, is that a compliment, right? But he looked kind of Jewish. So uh, she approached him as he was doing his meditation. And she said, excuse me, strange question, are you Jewish? And his jaw dropped. And he was stammering. He didn't know what to answer. So when he was able to to get words out of his mouth, he said, that's the craziest question that anybody has ever asked me before. And she was a little bit surprised. It's not that crazy. I'm just asking you. I'm Jewish, you know. Maybe you're Jewish. You look kind of Jewish. He said, I'm from Borough Park. I grew up, as we say, ultra-Orthodox. And I've had a very long and complicated journey to get to where I am right now. And as you approached me, I was actually speaking to Hashem. And I was so fed up with my life 
And I didn't know what to do. And I told Hashem, if you're really there, send me a sign that Torah is real. Send me a sign that there's more out there than meets the eye. And you approached me and you said, am I Jewish? <laughs> so the Gemara is asking the question, do we have miracles even when we're in Gullus? And the answer is a resounding yes. That's the nature of Purim. But why forever? So the, the Vilna Gon has a, a very fundamental piece in the beginning of the Megillah where he gives the following marshal. And uh, his analogy has to do with the king and his son, but we'll make it more contemporary. We'll speak about Donald Trump, perhaps, and, and Donald Trump Jr. So Donald Trump Jr., I didn't see anything recently. I'm not referring to anything out there. I don't know what's going on. Donald Trump Jr., though, is misbehaving, and he's getting involved with things he shouldn't be doing, and he's rebelling against his father, and he has a disregard for the White House in general. So eventually, sure Mr. Trump says... Sure <laughs> <laughs> so his father says, listen, I think it's time for you to learn your lesson. I'm going to put you in the, the middle of Chicago, some bad neighborhood over there. I think you're spoiled. I think I've done too much to, uh, to you know, put everything on this golden platter for you. I want you to live in an environment where things are dangerous, you have to fend for yourself, and you can't rely on your father for everything. Oh, Daddy, I promise I'll be good. I'll never misbehave again. And he said, no, this is for your best, young man. And he sent away. What's a dangerous area in Chicago? I'm thinking of L.A. How about we go to L.A.? Watts. Right? The middle of Watts in L.A. Crenshaw. So there he is. Not sure what to do with himself. He eventually tries to, to get a little place to rent. He's walking down the street late at night. And uh, two thugs come over to him. One guy grabs him from the back. And the other guy is about to punch him in the face and try to steal his wallet. But just when he puts his fist back... Three guys come out of the middle of nowhere and they tackle these thugs and totally make mincemeat out of them. And then they run away. And Donald Trump Jr. is standing there not knowing what happened. Okay. I got lucky. Thank God. He continues on his journey. Next day, something similar happens. Someone's reaching into his wallet. Someone else is about to take a knife. And again... Three people come out from the middle of nowhere and they tackle these, these bad guys and they run off. Says the Vilna Gon, and I want to read these words carefully because he says the same word three times and I think that's very telling. This is towards the middle of the paragraph number 13. <clears throat> One of the enemies come and they try to attack the sun. And again, one of his father's um, secret service agent, they come and they save him. Listen to this word. Then the son understood. It's one thing if it, if it happens once. There are a couple good citizens who happen to save my life. But if this is a reoccurring theme, it's probably not a coincidence. Vehaven, and he understands, Shizos Asa Aviv. This must be my father's doing. 
At that point in time, the love for his father penetrates his heart. And he wants to return with full, complete tshuva. So that's the analogy, and here's the application. Hashem sends the Jewish people through destroying the first base of Migdash into this bitter exile. And there's obviously many dangers in exile. Hashem sends His agents and He performs miracles for us, keeping us safe. But He does so in a hidden way. These are not revealed miracles. Ach, however, Shemordechai ve'ester vidoram, Mordechai and Esther and their entire generation finally pick up on the fact, and they see ro'u ve'hevinu. Third time saying that word, they see and they understand shizos hu minashemayim. This is not a coincidence. This is not random. The fact that Esther is in the palace and that she's influential and the fact that, that Mordechai was able to, to save the life of Achashverosh and the fact that Achashverosh wakes up in the middle of the night and he starts reading from the Chronicles and he's re- reminded about what Mordechai did for him. Ro'u they understand. This is Minashimayim. Ve'kiblu aleyem Torah ba'ava rabba and therefore they accept upon themselves the Torah with immense love. So why is Purim here forever? Why is the Megillah going to be read in shul, even with Mashiach? Because there's only one thing that we have now that we will not have in the times of Geula, that will not exist when things are full of light and clarity. What is that thing we have now? We have the ability to be maven, to understand, hey, Although it doesn't seem like this, this is really Hashem calling the shots. We have the ability to find Hashem through darkness. That's the one thing we will not be able to do in the times of Geula. Now, what would we rather? We'd much rather be living in a Geula, Shalema with Mashiach and, and, and world peace and people who are not crazy and killing themselves and killing others. But the one thing we won't have is we won't have the opportunity to find Hashem. Hashem is there. Hashem is with us. That's what brought about that unique love more than any other miracle because Hevinu, we understood, wow, this is really Hashem behind the scenes. That means it's not just once in a while Hashem intervenes, but it's a Kodesh Baruch Hu who's always there with me. That's a simcha because it came through my own finding. I discovered that. I discovered Hashem doesn't just intervene, but Hashem is always there with me. They were able to accept the Torah out of the love that they didn't have when they left Mitzrayim. A love they didn't have when they crossed the Yamsuf. A love they didn't have when the sun was standing in the sky for hours and hours in the times of Yeshua. That's the unique nature of Purim. So although it's representing the Nes Nister, the hidden miracles of life, but it's only the hidden miracles we're able to find. And when we find something, we're able to see beneath the surface, that brings a simcha and a love and a loyalty unlike anything else in the world. 
we have a problem, and this is true nowadays, and it's true for thousands of years. The prophet Yeshaya tells us that although the people turn to me in prayer, they honor me with their lips and with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. The phrase of means we're going through the motions, we're not really feeling it, we're not really living it. We do it, but it's not, it's not there. So we all suffer from this. Where does that come from? It's a plague. It's a machla. We all suffer from going through the motions, but it's not with my heart, it's with my mouth. Where does that come from? Explains the Kliyakr. And this is something we have to keep in mind when it comes to education, trying to inspire children. Says the Kliyakr. Sometimes we have in our own religious circles that we're almost forced into doing what we're doing. Why are we doing the mitzvahs? Why are we davening? Because I have to, because they're making me do it. What comes from this? You can make a child say words, you can make a child do a mitzvah, but you can't bring their heart close to Hashem. You force someone to do an action, but you can't force somebody to feel something. If they don't find it themselves, and that's a very, very hard, complicated thing to do, and I wish I had more answers for how to achieve that. But if we don't create an educational environment where children are able to discover the love for tefillah, for a mitzvah themselves, if it's too much forced upon them, they end up doing it, but they do it by rote. The Malbim has a very similar idea. He says that, why do the children do things? Very simple. Their parents tell them to do so. And their teachers instruct them. And the gamzos mi blidas is a tamla mitzvah. I don't understand why I'm doing it. I don't, I don't appreciate it. I'm doing it just because I'm told to do it. So if we're, if we're learning from the gra, the special unique quality of Purim is the fact that we were able to discover Hashem on our own. We needed some hadracha, we needed some, some pushing along and some prodding to eventually understand that it's all Hashem. But we have to incorporate that into our lives. In order to inspire ourselves and others, we can't force it on them. Although we, we do believe in real education, the Gemara in Ksuba says that you have to feed a child like an ox, which means you stuff them to the brim. So you have to balance those two things, stuffing to the brim, at the same time trying to create a, a, a system where they're arriving at the truth by themselves, they feel like they're discovering something. What is the Simcha of Purim? What is the unique Simcha of Purim? So I want to share with you, this is a, a piece from the Nesiva Shalom. The Nesiva Shalom speaks about Simcha in general, and he says that most people have a very flawed understanding of what joy is. 
if you translate simcha as, as happiness or, or fun, you're, you're missing the boat. The Nesiva Shalom says that most people assume that simcha is, I'm in a good mood. I'm walking around with a smile, I'm feeling good, that's simcha. That's not simcha. He says some people are more jovial, some people are in a good mood, some people are not in a good mood. Often that's based on personality, often that's based on serotonin in the brain. That's not the definition of simcha. What is simcha? Says the Nesiva Shalom. If we feel Hashem's hashkacha, if we, if we feel that Hashem is there with me, guiding me in life, in every moment and wherever I am, and the will of Hashem is only to bestow good upon me, and there's a love that I can't fathom. And although we look around the world and we look at Parkland and we see so many tragedies and so much evil and it seems so random. We quoted on Thursday night from the Ramchal where he says one of the hardest things to deal with is looking around and seeing what looks like random, terrible evil. But the Amuna is, HaKadosh Baruch runs the world in a way we can never fathom. Simcha is reminding ourselves of that reality. And that means no matter where I am, if I'm not in a good mood, and right now, you know what? I'm feeling kind of down in myself, and I'm kind of depressed, or I'm feeling anxious. I'm not in a good place. Even when I'm falling down from where I was, and I look back, I can't believe it, three years ago, I was doing so much more than I'm doing now. I was such a better mother three years ago. I went to davening three years ago. Even when we're in a state of confusion and, and, and our minds are fogged, we remind ourselves that Hashem is there with me. I have to feel Hashem is there together with us, even in the tzara, even in this negative state. What is the opposite of joy? What is the opposite of simcha? Says the Nesiva Shalom, Makora Atzvus, the source of depression, Hu Hergesh Habedidus Be'es Tzara. If I feel alone during a hard time, if I feel that there's nobody there with me, and that could be true even for someone who's surrounded by friends and family, but if I feel that nobody understands me, nobody gets me, and I'm, I'm in this by myself, that's the source of depression. So therefore concludes the Nesiva Shalom, if we work on Simcha, not just being in a good mood, but reminding ourselves that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is always there with me, and even if I'm not in the place I want to be, Hashem is there. He says, if we're able to have this feeling, HaSimcha Machnisa Oso Lifnai V'Lifnim, that Simcha could bring you into the Kodesh Kedoshim. You could accomplish worlds that you would never even imagine. So getting back to Purim, why would the holiday last forever? Why do, we, why do we read the Megillah forever? Why did we accept the Torah out of love? Because then we found Hashem. Every other time throughout history, Hashem found us. But we found Hashem when we realized Hashem doesn't just intervene when we need Him. Hashem is always there with us, 
even in the darkness. The celebration of Purim is feeling that simcha, is feeling that kesher, that connection. And it would be a shame, it would be a real chaval, if we enter into the holiday and we go through all of the external trappings of finding the right costumes and making the right shalach manos. And during the 24 hours of Purim, we don't think about this basic concept. Sometimes it's hard to when we're just fighting with the kids, you know, you already had 15 candies, we have to stop. Please, Taki, there's two more. It's hard to get spiritual in those, in those car rides delivering Mashallah Manos. But when there's an opportunity, if it's at the Purim Suda, if it's when we're dancing, we're not just dancing for this superficial simcha. As you're dancing, we try to close our eyes and we try to think, I'm dancing in the darkness. We don't yet have ge'ula. But, but I could tap into that, that, that very deep joy of knowing that even though I can't see Hashem, He's there right behind me. He's leading me. He's guiding me. That's the simcha of Purim. We should be zocha, that Purim should be joyful, and it should also be meaningful. And I want to invite everybody, Wednesday night next week, we're not going to have our shir, as it is the night of Purim, but um, we're going to have, this actually just for the men, so it's not inviting everybody, but a special dancing Wednesday night, which will probably begin around 9.45ish. Rabbi Hecht will be playing music. It'll be in the, in the Beis Medrash, a.k.a. the side chapel. Have a wonderful, meaningful, happy Purim, everybody. Take care.